Section 17 of Flower Patch Among the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathleen. Flower Patch Among the Hills by Flora Glickman. The Return to the Flower Patch. And because it is the correct thing to introduce a wedding into the last chapter, I had better mention the one I know most about. I always did say that, whenever I married, my wedding should be characterized by everything appertaining to common sense, while all the feebleness and foolishness and weak-mindedness I had noticed at other people's weddings would be entirely lacking. I have often remarked how strange it is that otherwise sensible people seem to lose all idea of proportion when it comes to arranging a wedding, how they let themselves be obsessed with clothes and furniture and wedding presents that they don't require, or if they do require them, they might have been dealt with on orderly systematic lines. Why need there be a chaos of garments in the spare room and every wardrobe and chest of drawers in the house just because one person is going to be married? I have said many a time, well, I'm not going to say it again. In fact, the older I get, the more I find life resolves itself into one continual discovery that I needn't have said half the things that I did say in my first youth. But with regard to the wedding, I think I started all right. It was as matters proceeded that I was overtaken by the inevitable. I really was too busy with arrears of work that accumulated during my long illness to see to the trousseau details in extenso. So I asked an intimate friend if she would take this in hand for me, which she kindly agreed to do. She had had lots of experience, and her taste was exquisite, so I knew matters were safe with her she asked me what frocks i already had i replied not a rag fit to wear then i'll make a good selection and have them sent home for you to choose from she replied her face subfused with that joy radiance that invariably overtakes a woman who starts out shopping with a blank check in her handbag she certainly did make a good selection i almost wished it hadn't been quite so good then at least i should have known what to send back but as it was, every fresh box I opened, I exclaimed, Isn't that lovely? I must have that. Till presently the room was a billowy sea of tissue paper and beautiful garments that looked as though hands had never touched them. I thought I was quite hardened and proof against lures of this kind, but the snare of it simply enmeshes you before you know where you are, as my bedroom was soon full to overflowing. I said the rest of the things had better go into a spare room. Very soon the spare rooms were full too, and so we went on like that. Why didn't I put the things away in drawers and wardrobes? Simply because every receptacle I possessed was full to distraction before the trousseau things started to arrive. Did you ever know a woman who possessed a drawer or a wardrobe peg that wasn't already over full? And she pining for more space? So for weeks we had to hop over piles of cardboard boxes no matter what room we entered, and scrabble up more bales of tissue paper and things to make room on the sofa for the friend who called to bring her good wishes in person still i have always thought that a strong argument in favor of a woman getting married is the fact that she presumably comes in for additional drawers and wardrobes 
Hence I looked forward to getting into my new home with considerable satisfaction in view of the purchase of extra furniture. Yes, I know it's a bit crowded just now, I agreed, when Virginia suggested I should set up a shop with modes at robes over the door, because she had estimated that I shouldn't need to buy any tissue paper for eleven years and five months, but I shall have heaps of spare room when I get into the new house. I really shan't know what to do with so many chests of drawers, but alas, in spite of the additional furniture, I am still squeezing things into drawers that would be so much more useful if made of elastic India rubber instead of wood, and I am still flattening garments into wardrobes that are so bulgingly full that I wonder sometimes whether the looking-glass will stand the inside pressure, and still I don't seem to have a rag fit to wear but the moving process was even worse than the trousseau. The very thought of it was turning my brain to stone. When I mentioned my quakings about the moving to the head of affairs, he said airily, Don't you give a solitary thought to that. Just go away for a couple of days' holiday, and when you come back, you will find everything as right as can be in the new house. You don't need to touch a thing or pack an atom. The men do everything. Now, why bother your head with unnecessary worrying, and so forth? I seemed to think I had heard the same remark made in the dim past when we removed from one house to another in my early days. I also remember that the brother of Virginia and Ursula said the very same thing to them when they moved, and they, acting on masculine advice, had the greatest difficulty, ultimately, in ever finding any solitary thing they possessed, including themselves, among the ruins, so I decided to postpone the couple of days' holiday and face the worst. There is no need to go into details about that move. Those who have been through it know exactly how many months it takes to find such things as the corkscrew, the button hook, the oil can belonging to the sewing machine, the one hammer that has its head fixed on firmly. They know the joy with which you fall on the missing sofa cushions when they are eventually discovered done up with spare bedding in the attic that everyone has been too tired to undo, and the affectionate greetings bestowed on the hall clothes brush when it is at length found in company with the dog's whip in a drawer one has forgotten in a small table of course it's very satisfactory when the perspiring gentleman who has packed and then unpacked again all the china comes to announce not a single piece is cracked or chipped madam but when you survey the piles of crockery and glass on the kitchen dresser and table and window ledge and mantelpiece that haven't yet found an abiding place and see the pantries full to overflowing a lurking thought comes that perhaps it might have been an advantage if he had smashed a few dozen of the multitudinous array of cups and saucers and plates and dishes that seem woefully superfluous at the moment as there seemed a good bit still to do i said i would dispense with the conventional tour proper to the occasion and spend the time trying to dispose of twenty-seven british workmen supposed to be house-decorating who were cheerfully in possession and apparently regarding their posts as life appointments when our goods arrived at the door despite our having let them live in the house rent-free for two months previously it was a little difficult to follow their twenty-seven lines of argument as to why they should remain with us permanently with abigail continually at my elbow presenting a tradesman's card and explaining 
please ma'am this man says he served the people who were here before but i've told him he's the ninth fishmonger who has said that to-day or else it would be there's a man at the door says he served the last people with groceries can i tell him to run back and get some soap i can't find where the men put our packets and it will be quicker than sending to the stores i suppose you don't happen to have it mm? cook and i have looked everywhere but we found the anchovy sauce and the carpet-beater where do you think they had packed them and so on but i determined to do my wifely duty in making a happy home for the man who had had the courage to marry me i was politely attentive when interviewed by a near-by magnate who was anxious to propose the head of affairs for the conservative club i accepted particulars supplied me by the secretary of the golf club who felt we were the very people the club needed i tried to understand when the gardener explained the peculiarities of the greenhouse heating apparatus and the danger that would threaten if any one but himself entered the greenhouse i endured the postman knocking at the door a dozen times a day to inquire if we lived there only to point out to us that we didn't when we had assured him that we did i informed the sweep that everything was quite satisfactory thank you and i should hope to have the pleasure of meeting him again i accepted the coal man's many reasons for not having delivered the coal sooner and i thanked cook for the information that the policeman said he or his mate would always be on point duty at the corner whenever we wanted him i filed half a bushel of tradesmen's price lists and laundry data i put the whole household on a milk pudding diet rather than waste the numerous samples of milk left by rival and mutually abusive dairymen in a row of cans at the side door and when a sumptuously apparelled resident called to say that the previous occupant had always contributed liberally to the local working men's brass band i tried to look gratified to hear of such generosity though i had the presence of mind to say that i should not be at home on saturday evening when they proposed to serenade me in the front garden yes it was a pleasant and peaceful couple of days and i dare say i should have been all the better for the complete rest had not the telephone men and the gas stove men called simultaneously with the electrical engineers who had been summoned to see why the electric light sulked and with a unanimity of purpose that was truly beautiful in a world so full of variance they all set to work to take up floorboards in rooms and halls where the carpets and lino had been laid the twenty-seven standing around and assisting with reminiscence and anecdote then it was that the head of affairs put down a firm foot and insisted on the flower patch at first abigail was reluctant to leave such bright scenes in the kitchen as she hadn't known for several years but remembering that a halo of distinction surrounds the bearer of exclusive information no matter how unimportant she set off cheerfully next morning and we followed a day later she prided herself on the tactful way she broke her news to the village hasn't miss glickman come down long with e inquired mrs widow and the handyman in unison you'll never see miss glickman again abigail replied in funeral tones oh you don't tell me so poor dear thing though i knowed she wasn't long for this world and kind-hearted mrs widow started to mop her eyes with her apron was it very sudden at the last very said the handmaiden couldn't make up her mind till the very day before the wedding 
when they had grasped the true state of affairs and imbibed enough particulars to have filled three newspaper columns mrs widow hurried off home and then on to the village likewise conscious of the halo of distinction but the handy man paused i'd wish i'd er knowed a bit sooner he said then i'd er made an arch with welcome on it as large as you please yes i'd er like to have had an arch but there after a moment's thought perhaps i'd better do a bit o weedin and cut the grass thus it happened that i was once again going along the road over which they had carried me only seven months before it was cold and cheerless then now it was all flowers and sunshine the kindly motherly soul who lives in the end house was at her gate now watching for our coming well there well there as the wagonette stopped for me to speak to her i thought i should never see you again and she grasped my hand in her own having first polished it on her apron which is always fresh and spotless and now here you are my dear i'm that glad to see you back and i do hope you'll be happy the stalwart fisherman setting on the river bank raised his cap i hadn't forgotten the good work he had done for me miss jarvis at the village shop came to the door and waved her hand i remembered the box of violets and moss and little ferns she had posted to the hospital in the cottage itself kind hands had been hard at work it was simply a bower of wild flowers the walls inside were nearly smothered with trophies of moon daisies grasses and ferns and the same scheme of flowers was carried all up the stairs on the window ledge on the landing were bowls of sweet betsy and cow parsley and such a pretty mixture the crimson and the white flowers made upstairs the rooms were gay with bowls of forget-me-nots and buttercups downstairs it was wild roses and honeysuckle with mugs of red clover on the mantelpieces being summer the fire grates were at liberty and these were filled with branches of bracken ivy silvery honesty seeds and foxglove everything had such a delightfully misty effect by reason of the seeding grasses that had been added lavishly to the flowers the only garden flowers in the house were some roses in the centre of the dinner-table sent by miss jarvis with some pale green young lettuces from her garden outside the swallows were twittering and like all the other birds were fussing about their small families the distant hills were glowing crimson by the acre where the timber had been cut i knew it was myriads and myriads of foxgloves near at hand the flower patch was a mass of nodding blossoms coupled with a choice variety of weeds i wondered where i had better begin and how i should cope with the bindweed flaunting itself everywhere that it had no business to be had i better start with the handyman on it at once or would it be better to set him to cut the hedges but even as i was planning out a good week's work for him i saw him coming up the path a picturesque figure in a blue jersey a large shady rush hat and carrying as signs of office a pitchfork a scythe and a rake and i heard his voice in the garden speaking to the head of affairs good day to ye sir i'm main glad to see ye for i calkerlate as how in future i takes my orders from the master end of section seventeen end of flower patch among the hills by flora glickman